there, friends. What is up? I am Chris Ewing, advisor to Weld.com. We'll be getting to know each other in the near future here, but I'm going to fill in tonight as a guest host instead of Jess, uh, and there's a particular reason for that. You know, I am a high school instructor as well as college and job training, and I've got kind of a unique situation here where I've got a former student who graduated just this year, so when we say this year, like six months ago, and uh, he's already out in industry, and I'll let him introduce himself and tell you a little bit about his situation. How you guys doing? My name is Connor Bochamp. Um, like he said, about six months out of high school. Um, I got accepted into the Boilermakers Union uh, back in September. Um, they finally uh, had gotten back to me about a couple weeks ago about my first job that I took on. Um, it was pretty exciting, pretty adventurous. I learned a lot of new things. Um, learned a lot of new techniques, and um, so far I'm really enjoying the experience. That's cool, man. So what made you want to join the Boilermakers in the first place? So what made me want to join is uh, my junior year, um, somebody with the union had come in and talked about it, and it sounded like the best opportunity for me since I didn't want to go to college and I didn't want to have you know a bunch of loans and debts and all this other stuff. And it just, college didn't sound fun to me. I wanted to get out and work somewhere within that. So when that opportunity came along, I grabbed it up and took it as best as I could. Gotcha. Was there something specific about the Boilermakers over like private industry or maybe one of the other unions, iron workers, sheet metal, pipe fitters, something? Um, it, it stood out to me a little more because it sounded the most interesting over the other ones, you know, I heard stories about, you know, pipe fitters, iron workers, all that other stuff, and it just sounded really repetitive, and I'm not, I didn't feel like I was going to be into the repetitive kind of stuff. So, you know, the Boilermakers, you know, they got a lot, they do a lot of different things. We take on a lot of different jobs. Nice. Now, how, how difficult was the process of applying and, and joining, and what are some of the requirements if somebody else is interested in becoming a Boilermaker? So it wasn't super difficult um, applying. Um, all I did was call the union hall, um, told them where I came from, you know, my name, phone number, um, where I had graduated, what classes I had taken, you know, welding-wise. And they had gotten back to me and told me to come to the hall and fill out an application. And you need a valid driver's license, a copy of your birth certificate, uh, your social security card, and a high school diploma or a GED. So those are the basic requirements yeah. for just about any job, right? Now, you said that you'd taken the high school welding class, and obviously I know that because you're one of my students, but how do you feel like your high school class prepared you for joining an apprenticeship like that? Um, I feel like it prepared me as much as it could have. Um, I say that because... With the Boilermakers, it's not just one specific set of things that you're going to be doing the whole time. You know, everything's always different. Every day is going to look different when you're on a job. You know, you can be working at a bunch of different places. And, you know, nowhere's ever going to be the same. But, um, you know, knowledge and skill-wise, I think it readied me as best as I could to advance further when I, you know, do my training at the Union Hall. Nice. Now, what kind of people would you suggest apply for a Boilermaker apprenticeship? 
I the kind of people I would suggest is someone who can be dedicated to working like just super hard and be super dedicated to the job and somebody that's not going to be afraid of heights or you know carrying heavy things around all the time you know getting yelled at a couple times by some journeymen it happens but you got to be you got to be thick skinned and you know decently brave to be a boilermaker nice so you just completed the first job that you've had as an apprentice right yep uh can you tell me a little bit about what that was like so it was pretty interesting um i got a phone call um on a wednesday and i started on friday technically um they had us not work saturday for some reason but then we came back worked that whole week um what we were working on is like a big steel roll stretcher at the uh, Ford plant, and they um, we were fixing the looper chain. And what that is is it drives the counterweight in the machine um, up and down to stretch the steel out. And the Ford plant said it was like binding up, so we were uh, replacing a bunch of master links on it. And the way we did that was we took um, what's called an airfall. It's like just a big chain that you can control, you know, with your hands on a couple of strings. And we had to drop the hook down um, the chute where the chain goes and hook it up to um, part of the chain where the master link uh, disconnects are. And then we pop that old master link out and lower that section of the chain onto the ground and then slowly... Uh, lower it back up and change master links along the way while it was on the ground and um, still allow the Ford you know inspectors to look at it because they were kind of picky on that yeah that's the inspector's job right make sure everything is being done correctly now I heard you say we an awful lot but what about you in particular as an apprentice and as your first day really on the job what were your responsibilities so my responsibilities for the first couple days was I was basically a laborman. Uh, you know, I would grab all the stuff out of the trucks that we would need and bring it into the facility, um, set everything up, make it look nice, make it easy to access. And um, whatever we needed up top at the top of the uh, machine, I would carry up there. And had to take the stairs because there's no other way to get up there. There's no elevators, no like escalators. All stairs. Okay, so even though you had taken, you know, a welding class beforehand as an apprentice you shouldn't exactly expect to go to the job site and day one just start laying beads correct yeah there's it's not nine times out of ten it's not going to be you know your first job and you're going to go weld right off the bat and i generally don't think that they let uh, first period apprentices weld on job sites anyway because they want to make sure that they have the skills and knowledge from the training facility in order to like make it seem you know very professional and correct and make sure it's not gonna mess up in the future gotcha now you mentioned the training facility so you know obviously as an apprentice you're not going to community college you're not racking up any kind of debt at all can you speak a little bit about what kind of training you are going to receive or you are currently receiving um so the training that i'm currently receiving is just um it's basic welding stuff. Um, he's uh, the instructor has me working on a two G horizontal sixty ten root seventy eighteen uh, fill and cap, 
And um, he had me work on that for a few hours. Didn't do too bad. And then you have an on-the-job training log as well? Yeah, so uh, they're called apprentice reports. And you basically log your hours on the uh, sheet on what you were working on. So if you were, you know, doing rigging and stuff like that, you would put X amount of hours in the rigging category. If you're working with the bowl gang, you would put X amount of hours in the bowl gang category. And at the end, uh, on the last day, you give it to your uh, foreman, and he fills out uh, the rest of it and kind of, like, can add a note on the bottom on, like, how he felt about how your work ethic was or anything of the sort like that and then once you're you know done on that job uh, I would say you wait the next day if it's a weekday to go take it up to the hall take it in there you take your pink copy off you keep that so you don't keep that you got no proof you got no proof that you did any of that so keep your pink copy you just put it in the drop box and then you know that next morning at 8 I wouldn't say at 8 but Sometime in the morning when the hall opens the next day, you know, you call them and you get put back on the work list. Nice. Now, being that you had just completed your first job, how was it being the new guy in a, you know, union area? Um, I, I think a lot of people might be concerned about hazing or, you know, I, I don't know, not, not fitting in with the crew. How did your first experience go? Um, it wasn't too bad. Uh, the first day... Um, I was, you know, trying to be not super social, but social enough to get to know the people I was working around. And, um, all of us got along really well. Nobody ever really butted heads about anything that we were doing. Um, and, you know, being a brand new apprentice with, you know, being around a bunch of journeymen that have 10 plus years experience, you know, you, you do a couple little mess up things that everybody has definitely done. And, you know, they kind of tease you a little bit for it, but, you know, that's where that thick skin comes in. You can't take anything they really say joking to you seriously. So if you take it to heart, then, you know, nothing good will come of it, and it won't be good for you. Yeah, it's been a been a few years since I completed my apprenticeship, but I definitely remember, uh, like, we won't call it hazing, but they, they are definitely going to push you to whatever limit they can if you give a negative reaction they're going to keep doing it just going to get worse absolutely i think we had a, a, another advisor on the podcast talk about that um, you know helps create that thick skin um you know it, is it a boundary or a barrier to entry for some maybe but it is the current way of the world and i think honestly it's probably gotten better over time yeah all right, so on this particular job site, what was, uh, what was say, your favorite thing and maybe your least favorite thing about being on the job site? Um, my favorite thing about being on the job site um, was honestly how hands-on it was, you know, being, you know, my first job and everything. You know, I was, I was in there getting dirty just as much as the journeymen were, uh, and I enjoyed that because it, it allows you to learn a lot more, especially, you know, physical learners you know you gotta be hands on to figure it out right my least favorite part was definitely carrying about a couple hundred pounds of tools up that stair that stair side it was not fun up and down up and down right about on average 15 times a day nice 
This is about 120 feet up in the air. No, that's why they have the young guns do it, right? Yeah. New guy gets to carry all the heavy stuff. So, you know, we talked about, it's only been about six months since you've been out of the welding class, right? And, like you said, you didn't want to take on the debt. You wanted to get hands on. I'm sure the question that a lot of people are going to ask is, well, and you don't have to be too terribly specific, what kind of money are you making as an apprentice? And you can give a range so that you're not, like, throwing your personal information <laughs> out there. Um, it's anywhere um, in the 20s range an hour. And, you know, you make a, at least, you know, a decent four-figure amount a week. They can definitely, you know, subside you for a while and keep you good on money. Right, just depending on how many. So how many days... And how many hours per day did you end this this particular job? Uh, so we worked five days, Sunday through Thursday. And Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, we worked 12-hour days. Uh, Wednesday, we worked at 10. And then Thursday, we worked at 8. Right. So, I mean, that's a lot of hours. But this is one of those things that I don't know if it gets talked about enough. Where, again, you don't have a college education. And you're making more than some people with a college education are making right now. Right. Like these are the opportunities that we talk about in the skilled trades today. That you know, it, everything in life is cyclical, right? We tried to dismember all of these skilled trades opportunities in public education, uh, and we pushed everybody to go to school. Everybody needs to go to school. Go to school is the only way you're going to get a, a good job. Be a doctor. Be a lawyer. Uh, be an engineer. Get a hundred thousand, two hundred, several hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt, and then you know over time you'll be able to pay it off because you'll be making such great money. Right. And it doesn't always work out that way. No. Or you you chase a, a passion without a plan, which can also you know lead you down the wrong path. That English degree is only going to take you so far. Right. That's cool. Well, um, so, all right. So, um, what kind of future do you see with the Boilermakers? Are you planning on going to any kind of specialty area with them, or I, I don't know, future plans? Um, future plans right now is just you know go through the apprenticeship. You know, get my journeyman's license or card, whatever you want to call it, and kind of figure it out from there. I haven't really thought about anything like that in specific on what I could do with it. Um, I know you could go into, like, working in the union hall from being a journeyman, but that, I don't know, that I couldn't do. I can't have a desk job. That's, you know, I maybe, gotta be Maybe one day, but it's a little maybe, Yeah, not in the near future, but maybe one day. Gotcha. So... Having worked your first job already, what kind of, uh, did you earn any specific advice from any of the journeymen or points of wisdom, maybe something you didn't know before that you noticed, picked up on? Um, the one thing that really stuck with me from the job, um, that's related to that is one of the journeymen told me like, you know, you know, if you guys are ever sitting around or, you know, we're, we're standing there kind of waiting for something to happen. And, you know, you see something's maybe unorganized or could be moved or things that, you know, you know, need to be taken out, you know, to start working on the job. 
you know, maybe you got to run a line somewhere, you know, try to do it without asking, but pick up on it so that you know what, you know, we would be using. Yeah, so take the initiative. Right. Don't wait for somebody to tell you what to do. Right. If you can't, like, if you know what they're going to need, like, if you can piece that together and you can just kind of figure it out, then just, just start doing it. They probably look at you weird for a second, but then they'll realize what you're doing and they won't say anything. Gotcha. Now, would you expect them to correct you if you're doing something wrong? At the end. They'll let you do it first, and then they'll tell you, like, hey, that's wrong. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta do this part. Again, that was that was absolutely part of another podcast that they they discussed that as well. Like, there's there's a difference between teaching somebody the hard way, you know, letting them do it wrong maybe once or twice, as long right. as it's not going to cost a huge time, effort, or energy fix. Uh, but to let somebody do something wrong all day long is kind of a jerk move, even if you're. Yeah trying to train the new person there's right. there's ways of doing it without making them you know have to rework material or spend an entire right. day just wasting their time spinning their wheels not getting anywhere right yeah they'll, they'll let you mess it up probably once and then they'll be like yeah you don't do it like that you gotta do it this way and yeah. then you, and then it'll stick with you you know you'll be like oh i did do this wrong let me do it right and then it'll stick with you that it's right forever like it, it shouldn't leave. Yeah, I had an incident during my apprenticeship where I was working with uh, one of the other guys in the shop, and he had left because he had to go answer some questions or find some specifics on one of the drawings or something. So there I was, nothing to do, no direction. So you know, I'm, I'm going to take the initiative and I'm going to start cleaning up the area. Well, I, I say the area, really, it was his area. Oh. And he had a very specific way he liked stuff, and I must not have been cleaning it the way he liked because he was very much not happy with me when he got back. I'm like, well, if you want me to stop, just say stop. Just stop! <laughs> he was definitely <laughs> upset about that. Yeah, he was not happy with me that particular day. But, you know, that's, that's the double-edged sword to taking the initiative then, right? You, right. you risk doing something wrong... But on the other hand, you're just doing nothing at all. So I'll right. take I'll take doing something wrong over not doing something at all any day. Right. And then, like I said, hopefully you have the safety net there with you to explain to you what you're doing wrong, why right. you're doing it wrong. Right. So what made you decide to take a welding class in the first place? You know, coming into the high school. So um, when I heard about the Career Tax Center, uh, I was you know we were they gave us a sheet in some class. That had all the different um, courses they had at the Career Tech Center. And I was looking at them all, and my brother is in HVAC, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll do that. But then I was talking to my dad for a while, and he's, a, he's been a welder his whole life, welder fabricator. And he was like, take the welding class. He was like, I promise you'll like it. I said, all right, whatever, I'll take it. Took it, and once we started welding, I immediately fell in love with it. That's awesome. So it was a, a combination of finding out what was available to you as a student and then a little bit of encouragement from a family member. Yeah. That's, I'd say, pretty common story. I think one of the most common we hear is that somebody in the family did some welding or is a welder or, you know, in some way they're involved in welding and then they can... Right. Um, yeah, encourage others to, to join the, the trades. 
Now, while you were taking the classes here, you said you fell in love with welding while you're here. Was there a particular process that you leaned towards? Um, I definitely lean towards MIG a lot. So I have some exciting news. Lincoln Electric, you guys know, they offer everything you need for welding and cutting, filler metals, automation, weld fume control, and safety and PPE needs. We've partnered with them so that we could give you guys some promo codes to use. Weld.com 10 will give you 10% off equipment and Weld.com 20 will get you 20% off gear and accessories. Weld.com is spelled out W-E-L-D-D-O-T-C-O-M and then you just add the 10 or the 20 and these codes are valid until December 31st of this year, 2021. And they are valid only at store.lincolnelectric.com. And be sure to share on social media using hashtag WeldRedNation. It was the easiest to learn. And it was the easiest to, you know, really pick up. And I found it really enjoyable. I honestly think it's pretty relaxing, you know, laying some dimes on MIG. And it's it's funny because you hear... I don't know if it's younger people or people that are still students. They talk about it, and generally they'll lean towards MIG. And pretty much every time I've heard an instructor or somebody that's been in the industry for a little while, they're like, oh, TIG. TIG is the way to go. Love TIG. It's clean. It's consistent. You just get to sit there and zone out. So, it's... TIG is enjoyable, but I'm not the best at TIG yet. So, once I, one day I'll hit that point where I can make things look really good, and I'll probably say you know make ain't even for anymore right now is is a boiler maker is it still mostly stick welding yeah it's still mostly you know like a 60 10 root 70 18 cover um sometimes they might have you run a tag root and then you know 70 18 cover or whatever um it's all dependent on the material and like the thickness of stuff that they're fabricating together or repairing or whatever they may be doing they'll use that I want to say typically more for like, like circular pieces, you know, like especially if they're like smaller pipes. Sometimes I'll run like a, a TIG root, and then fill it in with some seventy eighteen. Gotcha. Is it mostly just carbon steels then, or are there some maybe some stainless in there as well? Um, every now and then there's been a, you know I've heard a couple people say you know they were waiting welding on some stainless or like some galvanized stuff. Um, haven't seen it. Definitely haven't smelled it, so they were all burning on some carbon steel. Cause I did, I know that I can smell the difference between it. Oh, absolutely! Like you, you can tell right away. It does not smell the best, that's for sure. <laughs> all right, what about um, like tools and PPE? You know, you go from being a student to being an industry professional, especially something as as physical as the boilermakers. Are there? Are there tools you plan to buy? Are there some recommendations maybe the journeymen have, have thrown your way? Like, hey, you should look into these things. Um, so, yeah. So, with the tools, um, they use, like, kind of, they have nicknames for the tools. Mm-hmm. So, trying to, like, figure out, like, what it, like, what the actual tool name is. Like, I have to figure that out first. Uh, but most of them, I can can kind of figure out and piece together pretty quickly. I don't think I would have to go to like some specialty online store or something like that to find them. It's just like you know, a double-sided like hammer, like a little mini sledge or something like that. 
like a crowbar. They call it a sleever bar, so it's not like really, it's not super curved on the end. So I think it's actually called a sleever bar. Um, you know, a couple different size bullpins, channel locks, they call them dogs. I don't know where it comes from, I, I don't know. That's just, that's how I learned it, and I call it that. It's yeah, like, and that's basically my, my question is like, say I'm, I'm going to start a Boilermaker apprenticeship myself. Like, what do I need in my tool bucket showing up at the job site day one? Tape measure, soapstone, beater, sleever bar, bullpen, dogs, and a knife. And maybe your hood, you know, maybe your welding hood. So that you can watch somebody else because you're not doing any welding yourself. Yeah, probably, right? <laughs> probably something like that. You know, you got to be like fire watch with your hood on. Right. Now yeah, that's mentioned... like the basic stuff. Maybe eventually, even like a harness. You know, you get like a personal harness that you throw in your own bucket, so you know it's gonna fit you every time. You don't get to dig through the game box to try and find one, and then you get to mess with all the things. So like old and dirty. They're, somehow they're never torn, but they're just really greasy and they don't move. This is all just soaked into the nylon. Yes. Now, what about a hard hat? Is that a requirement as a boilermaker? Yeah, so the, the, the PPE that um, we have to wear, at least on this job site, I think it's pretty common around everywhere else, is you got your greens, which is like, you know, your, your green welding jacket, but it's like a jumpsuit. You can have a jacket and, like, pants if you wanted to, if you didn't want to wear the one piece. It's completely up to you as long as you have greens to protect you from you know whatever could be flying or whatever sparks are flying or whatever um a high vis vest it can be all green it can be green and orange just some sort of high reflective vis vest hard hat and safety glasses and with the hard hat um they give you three stickers for three points of contact on your hood or on your uh hard hat so that you can see it from kind of all angles so you put one on the back and then two on the sides. So that way you have, you know, your reflective stuff on so that if somebody can't see you but they can see your hard hat, it'll reflect off that. Gotcha. Now, do most of the, the journeymen have a weld hood that attaches to their hard hat or do they swap out a hard hat for a weld hood when that time comes around? Um, so they have this little headpiece um, that you can, like, you know, you take your old headpiece out and it's just like a thin little piece of plastic with a spring on the back. And it just, it'll stretch out over your hard hat. Gotcha. Because I don't, you, usually in places like that, you just, you can't take the hard hat off. So then you got nothing to protect your head. You got the weld hood, but then that's it. You know, like, they won't really allow that. Right. So you, I think usually they give you that piece to put on your hood at the job site. If they don't, it's like 10, 15 bucks from Tractor Supply. It's not an expensive thing. I picked one up just to have it. Gotcha. Yeah, I know most uh, weld hood manufacturers will make a hard hat adapter kit. Yeah, or they have can. something like that too. Right, but then you got to walk around with your weld hood and your hard, and hat, your hard hat, hat all the time, all day. So if you're not gonna be welding all day, then that's probably not your best bet. Yeah, like if they if they had you like strictly just burning rods, then yeah, I'd buy that. I'd get that all day long. But if I'm like welding here and there. We walk around with my hood all day too. It's just extra weight on my head. Gotcha. Now you had mentioned the the worst part for you was just doing the stairs all day long. Um, so would you consider the boilermakers like a physical job then? It's definitely a pretty physical, physically demanding job. 
Um, one of the journeymen said to me, he was like, you know, you know, you guys make X amount of money, but, you know, like, Boilermaker money is like blood money. You know, you really work for it, and, like, you risk your life every day coming to any job that, you know, you have the potential of something happening. And now it's, risk is low most of the time if you're, you know, following out, proper procedure. Right, like, if you do everything like you're supposed to, you should be good. But, you know, there's always those cases where you think you're harnessed in, but then you're not. Or you think you're tied off correctly on something that'll hold, but it's not. Or, you know, something tears, something breaks, something falls. And anything can happen at any given point, and, you know, it really keeps you on your toes. You never just kind of stand in there and just tweedling your thumbs, like, like looking at the ground. You're always looking up and paying attention to what's beeping in the area. You know, make sure you're not going to get smashed by anything or hit right. by nothing. So then what kind of safety training do they provide you when it comes to, you know, tie-offs and harnesses and heights and ladders and all that stuff? So, um, with that, like, um, they kind of tell you, like, what you can and can't tie off to on the site. Like, handrails, you can't tie off to those. If they're, like, heavy-duty handrails, then, like, they might let you, but usually you want to tie off on something that can hold at least... I think it was like 1,400 pounds. So that way you can have, you know, if you need more than one person to tie off, you guys can both tie off on the same thing. Generally, they don't allow that, though. You know, everybody's going to find their own kind of tie-off thing. Because if two people tie off on the same thing, one person falls, they could do something, and then you fall. They could just break it the rest of the way or something. Like, right. they don't want that. Now, as part of your training, do you have any kind of OSHA, like OSHA 10 training or OSHA 30 or anything? Yeah, so... At the um, initiate at your initiation meeting at the hall, um, they give you a login in your big yellow folder of papers that they give you, and um, they make you log in on the computers that they have there, and it, you know it shows you you know your OSHA thirty and stuff like that, and the way that works is you have a timer of seven and a half hours per day, and if you I don't personally know how someone could do seven and a half hours of that that i did about four a day right it was still a lot um if you hit that if you hit the end of that timer then it it boots you off it saves your progress and it, um you gotta wait eight hours before you can get your full time back on any time you do you know so like if you did even like four hours i still had to wait almost pretty much eight to have seven and a half back it's kind of weird how it worked. Like, it didn't, like, take four hours to get my four hours back. It was super strange the way it worked. But, yeah, so once you get your OSHA 30 done, then you can then you can work for the union. Once yeah, you get that's that done, a prerequisite yeah. before they'll even let you yeah. on the job site. Because most contractors and, like, business owners and, you know, whoever owns the building, they won't let most, you know, people come on without an OSHA 30. And, I mean, it's understandable because there's, like, there's a lot of moving parts on any job site you don't want to just know certain things and then something right. happens you're like well that wasn't part of my safety training you know you can't blame them for that now yeah and, I um, mean it goes beyond just the general weld safety right Right. yeah it goes into the, the construction yeah, site safety it's, essentially it's called the 30 the OSHA 30 construction safety course it's just general of like generalized of like everything Scaffolding, electricity, you know, 
heavy machinery, all that kind of stuff. Right, and if I understand correctly, OSHA 10 means 10 hours of training, and OSHA 30 is 30 hours of training. Correct. And uh, before every job, too, um, on the last job and this job, even though this is the same thing they sent me the last time, um, they make you go through a couple little short things. takes maybe like an hour and a half max to do. One's like a little introduction, and then one's like explaining all the different things on the job site, or like the whole facility, and then you got to take a safety test at the end. If you don't pass the safety test... Then, then you can't work. Gotcha. Then you got to call the home and be like, so yeah, I failed my safety test. Uh, I don't know what to do. And they just, I don't know what they do from there. I haven't failed the test. So I don't know. <laughs> well, speaking about failing tests, um, let's talk drug usage in the Boilermakers Union. Like, how lenient are they now that it's legal in certain states? Um, I'd say they're still pretty strict on it. Because like, you know, like, even at the meeting, you know, they explained it, like, you can't, you know, go smoke a joint on the weekend and then come to work, you know, that following week. And if they drug test you and they t- get test positive in your system, most of the time they're just going to automatically think you smoked that morning. And then they're just going to fire you. They're just going to tell you to leave. And you probably get fired from the hall, too. You know, you probably get fired from the union. But, like, if you drank a couple beers on Saturday and you went into work Monday, you'd be fine. But... Um, even if, so like at your initiation meeting too, um, you have 48 hours to get a drug test or a drug screening done. And like, if you don't even pass that at the, at, within those 48 hours and they just terminate you, like they don't, they don't be like, oh, well try to get a clean one. Like they don't do any of that. They don't, they don't play games with when it comes to drug use. Right. Because you're liable if you mess something up. Now, it's not just when you hire in either, though, right? What's that? It's not just when you hire in that they, they test you? Oh, no. They can they can drop you on the job site if they really wanted to. I think it's more of like on, a, like on the suspicion side now. Like if I came gotcha. in and my eyes are like closed and they're beat red and I'm laughing at like the stupidest things on the planet, then yeah, they probably drug test me and be like, oh, this dude's high. Right. So like, can't have that. Yeah, see, even, even that up, sounds a little more lenient than what I've heard you know, in the past, where it's basically every time you start a new job, they have the ability, or the if they need to, to drug test you before they even let you on the job site. Oh, yeah, they definitely can. And I was honestly expecting that, like, going into this job. And I was like, I know I'm going to be good, but, like, how are they going to do this? Like, I don't, do I got to wait, like, a day? Like, I don't know. But I went in, and they just asked me for, you know, like show me your results and I just pulled it up online and that was it gotcha got my scanning badge which took way too long because there was like 40 people in the building at the same time (laughs) trying to get the same thing it was not fun now so the one job that you have had so far has been relatively local but you know we're in Michigan here and I don't think people realize what a big state Michigan is Especially when you include the, the Upper Peninsula. Yeah. Um, so what areas, you know, so what local are you a part of? And then what area does that service? So I'm part of Local 169. And we cover, like, pretty much all of the Lower Peninsula. Besides, like, a few cities like Monroe and, like, a couple surrounding cities. 
Why? I don't know. And then, like, all the rest of the Lower Peninsula and all of the UP. Like, I've talked to a couple dudes at the hall that were up in the paper mill at the UP. Yeah, and I think Cliff, uh, one of the other advisors, talked about the paper mill up there and, and the um, just how important that is to the surrounding community up yeah. there. Yeah. The people that work there, they said it sucked. They said, they said it wasn't fun. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, so we're in Michigan. We're outside, like, we're the metro Detroit area, right? So even just crossing the bridge into the UP, that's like an eight-hour drive by Oh, itself. yeah. And then if you got to go all the way to, you know, say the west side of the UP, like the Wisconsin border or something, now you're looking at another six hours or so. So just to get to the job site, you're sitting at, you know, 12, 14 hours of just yeah. drive time. And once you're there, do the Boilermakers cover any of your transportation? Are they covering your hotel? or? No, so you, you have to come out of pocket for, you know, all your living and expenses, you know. Hotels, you know, usually people will bunk up with, like, a few other Boilermakers to keep the cost down. And usually they'll probably carpool, too, you know, before they even get up there. So that way, they're saving, you know, they can split gas. So that way, you know, one person's not spending, I'd probably say, $150, $250 on gas just to get over to the UP. Right. It's a long time. Especially if you don't have a fuel-friendly vehicle. Fuel-friendly vehicle or a particularly uh, fuel, newer... Yeah, newer vehicle. Yeah, if you got some repairs that you've been putting off and you got to take a 12-hour trip because work says you got to go be there tomorrow, that's a bad look. Yeah. Would not be good. That's why my, my truck's good. It just eats a lot of gas. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we covered an awful lot about the Boilermakers um, and about you know your experience with them. Is there anything else that you can think of you'd like to share with anybody that might be listening in? Somebody um, that's maybe considering you know the Boilermakers as a career path. If you're genuinely considering it, go for it. Take it. Go through the apprenticeship. If you if you can, you know, if you start to not like the apprenticeship, but you're like halfway through. Just just push through it, unless you absolutely can't. But even then, I'd still try and push through, because I know, you know I've only worked one job, about to go work my second. It's going to be a long four years. And it's probably going to suck at some point, but I have no other really opportunity like this to take. So I don't want to just throw it away after two years and be like, oh, they're a bunch of meanies over there at the local 169 so I'm just gonna leave and end up owing them like a grand because you dropped out now you owe them all that money too you know so if you drop out of the program early you have to re uh, you have to reimburse them because they, they spend about $650 a month on, per person like per apprentice just on training materials and yeah. stuff so you know I mean, you gotta pay four years worth of it too because they already gotta pay it up so you know a lot of money it's not gonna be good. Yeah. So if you start, you should probably finish. <laughs> yeah. Start to finish, and once you're journeyman, and you know, just take time off. Because once you're journeyman, you can, you can turn down jobs that they offer you. You can put on the work list. Let's say you work, you know, eight months out of the year. And, you know, you're getting into May. You know, springtime. 
you know, late springtime, almost summer. And you're like, you know, I got a lot of money saved up. You know, I'll be good. They offer you a job in May. And you say, you know, it's going to last this long, you know, two months or whatever. You say no. You say, you know, no, I'm good on this job. You know, put me on the next one or something. Right, and then when, you, when you're when you not on a job, you can still claim unemployment. So you have a little bit of income coming in, right? Yeah, so you can still collect um, unemployment when you're, quote, unquote, laid off. They call you laid off right. when you're done working for the job. Um, you would have to talk to the hall and see, like, what certain things you'd have to choose in order to, like, not mess it up, you know, because you, when you turn it off and be like, oh, I went back to work on your unemployment, it, like, it won't screw it up to the point where you got to, like, refile and, like, right. deal with all that stuff again. And something else about the pay that you had mentioned earlier that I wasn't aware of is that you're not getting paid by the hall, right? So you get paid by the employer that contracts out I, to yeah, the boys. I get, I get paid by the contracting company. So, like, on this last job, I got paid by Barton Mallow. Okay. I got paid by that company. On this one, I'll get paid by Monarch. It's, yeah, it's never and it's just all. and it's a contract that's worked out with the Boilermakers yeah. ahead of time. Yeah. So they, you know, work with these companies to figure out who they can put where. And once they do, then they call you. And I waited maybe a week and a half, almost two weeks, but it's not bad. You know, it's only it's only going to be a short job. I think something probably just broke, then we just replaced real quick. So I can be too bad. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you sitting and chatting with me. I appreciate you coming in and talking to all my high school students, too. Um, we're definitely going to keep in touch. Like I said, this is job one. You know, we had you as a student in class beforehand. We're going to follow you all the way through to you know your journeyman status. And then, um, you know, you're welcome yeah. to join our advisory committee here at the high school. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate time, man. Yeah, I'll definitely, you know, keep stopping by, keep the updates coming. You know, maybe one day I'll drive something that's a little more gas-friendly because <laughs> even driving it now and I'm not working, it's not fun. But yeah, right. we should be all set here in, you know, a couple months. We should be a lot better off. Yeah. That just shows how good the opportunity is. Yeah, a few more jobs on your belt, a few more paychecks. Right. Going to go out and buy that fancy brand new truck like everybody does. <sighs> <laughs> my Prius. <laughs> That's probably a wiser decision. Like 80 but eighty miles to the gallon. And I, I have the electric. Do you think you're getting that. heckled now by the journeyman? I can't imagine what happens oh, when you, you show pull up in a, a Prius, the powder like... blue Prius. <laughs> yeah, they might heckle me a little, but I could just see a, a few dozen of them just picking up your Prius and putting it in the back of somebody else's truck. You know, it's probably possible. There, there are a lot of big dudes. In the union, for sure. Right, now they all got nicknames, right? You ready for your nickname to be Prius? No. <laughs> I'd rather it be like, I don't even know. Something other than Prius. Yeah, something I'd other say. than Prius. All right, well, like I said, thanks for joining me. Um, Not a problem. It was fun. So, I'm Chris Ewing, filling in for Jess. I'm sure she has more episodes for the Weld.com podcast coming up any minute now. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, we'll see you later. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. 
complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. 